welcome to the Divorce Coaches Academy podcast with co-founders and hosts, Tracy Callahan and Deborah Doak. Each week, we tackle another tough topic to help professional divorce coaches maximize client impact and cultivate thriving practices. We also want to spread the word about the expertise and value that certified divorce coaches bring to the table. At DCA, we are committed to ongoing learning and we value generosity among divorce coaching professionals. We believe that when one succeeds, we all succeed. Welcome back to the Divorce Coaches Academy podcast. I'm Deborah. I'm here with my co-host, Tracy. Hello. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hi there. So we were talking, Tracy and I, about money and how common money fears are in divorce, right? It's just something that comes up for us all the time. Yeah. Clients might be afraid they don't know enough about their marital money. They might be afraid they won't get enough money. Maybe they'll be afraid they have to give up too much money. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, yeah. Or we hear they have concerns, maybe their partner's going to be difficult and they're going to have to fight to get what's, I'm using air quotes, fair. Fair. Right? Going to have to fight to get what's fair and By the way, you've heard us say this before. Most of us call fair the four-letter F word in divorce. I wasn't going to say it. I was waiting for you to say it. But yes, it is the other F word in divorce. Everybody's definition of what's fair is different. And that is the source of so much disagreement, Mm -hmm. right? What I think is fair isn't what Tracy thinks is fair. So in this week's episode, what we want to try to dive into is those very first few important steps when you're working with a client who has money fears, because money fears create indecision, inflexibility, and conflict. Mm -hmm. And when we're able to dial down that fear, we also make it possible for clients to be less reactive, more flexible, more strategic. And that means less conflict and better decisions. You know, finances and divorce, all the money stuff, it really has the potential to create the most fear other than other than parenting time, the most fear, the most conflict, but also the most post-divorce impact. So from partners who haven't had any insight into the family finances, which isn't uncommon at all, to spouses who try to hide income or assets, also not uncommon. This whole area of financial stuff in divorce can be a absolute minefield of distrust. Bombs. (laughs) Yes, be careful. It is a minefield of distrust and uncertainty. It's a lethal combination. And so it's no wonder so many people have worries and concerns when it comes to the financial part of divorce. Yeah. And, and you know, I find it so interesting that financial fears are one of the most common instigators of divorce conflict because money is widely known as one of the leading causes of divorce in America. No, no shocker there, right? No. So according to one survey, nearly half of Americans, 48%, who are married or living with a partner say they argue with that person over money. 
Hmm. Hmm. Most of those fights are about spending habits with 60% saying that one person spends way too much or the other is way too cheap. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> totally opposite ends of the Never heard that. Right? I've no, never heard never. that. I know. Who would do that? What do you mean my Amazon packages keep coming? Right? <laughs> or why won't you buy a new pair of underwear? There's holes in them. Okay. So <laughs> the remaining fights are pretty evenly split between someone being dishonest about money, mm-hmm. how to divide those bills and other types of money fights, which could be anything from disagreements over forgetting to pay a bill to differing financial priorities. Okay. It's estimated that financial problems contribute to 20 to 40% of all divorces. That means that every 10 marriages that end in divorce, four of them are because of money. 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 Data from TD Ameritrade reported that around 41% of divorced Gen Xers, along with 29% of divorced boomers, state that the reason their marriage ended was due to financial disagreements. Hmm. So once again, we are taking people who were likely couldn't agree on money in their marriage, mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. and now asking them to make big decisions about money during their breakup. Yeah. How's that going to work? Right? <laughs> it just doesn't seem like a recipe for success. The it, thing it really that they doesn't. couldn't do, <laughs> the thing that ended the marriage is now the thing that they have to do. I think it's, you've heard me say this, it is the biggest joke in divorce. It's like one of those pranks, right? right. Yeah. Okay. You guys couldn't get your shit together. And now please get your shit together. Okay. So clients who've been stay-at-home parents or lower earners may be worried they can't afford to live on their own. People often wonder if they have the right to assets that are titled in their spouse's name, or if they will have to share the inheritance they got from grandma or grandpa. Others may not be very interested in sharing the retirement assets that they worked so hard to accumulate. (laughs) Yeah, my money. Right. And some will come to you having been victims, and, and we're using this word victim, of financial abuse or control, and they have no access to the financial information. All of these scenarios set the stage for big divorce mi- mistakes with really, 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 really huge consequences. From throwing in the towel to unnecessary litigation, fear around money can cause people to behave in ways that are not productive to resolving conflict and getting to an agreement that everyone, everyone can live with. Right. Yeah. Those fears really get in the way. Mm. But why are money issues such a big deal? And especially why are they such a big deal in divorce? Well, certainly there are emotional components, right? But I believe, and we we teach in our course, that to some extent, it's because money directly correlates to the first two levels of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. If you're not familiar with that, let me, let's give you a little like primer on it. Yeah, uh, we love Ab- Maslow. We do. And yeah. Abraham Maslow first introduced this concept of a hierarchy of needs in a paper way back in 1943 titled A Theory of Human Motivation. 
What he says is, is that people are motivated to fulfill basic needs before moving on to more advanced needs. And he identified the hierarchy this way. Level one is physiological needs. Those are our biological requirements for survival. Air, food, drink, shelter, clothing, warmth, sleep, things like that. Physiological needs. Survival. Yes. yes. Our basic survival needs. Food, water, shelter. Yes. <laughs> Level two, safety, order, predictability, and control. Things like laws, medical care. It might mean retirement, property. It might mean emotional safety. Yeah. Right? Level three, he identifies as belonging, friendship, mm. intimacy, trust, and acceptance, receiving and giving an affection, and love. Level four, so we're moving way up the pyramid now, esteem, esteem for ourselves. That's dignity, achievement, mastery of a skill, independence, and the desire for reputation or respect from others like some sort of status or prestige. And then the top or level five is self-actualization or oh. what we call best <laughs> self, right? This is self-actualization. We realize uh, our full potential. We It's self-fulfillment. It's seeking personal growth and peak experiences, Right. Yeah. And and so, I think it's really important to point out if you're not familiar with Maslow, it's a pyramid. It's a pyramid. So level one is that really big one. It's the biggest one. <laughs> it's the biggest one. And it provides the stability for the rest of the pyramid. They all sit on top of that. Right. And so this first level of the pyramid or the hierarchy has to do with those physiological needs like shelter, food, clothing. So Clients who are asking questions like, can I support myself? Will I have to go back to work? Where will I live? Or how can I afford to pay that? They are concerned about meeting their basic monthly living expenses and providing for their level one physiological needs. They are going to have trouble moving up the hierarchy and showing up as their best selves if they fear these basic needs may not be met survival. They are worried about surviving, not self-actualization, right? Yeah. No, they're not worried about <laughs> self-actualization. It's not on their radar right now. Nope. They're worried nope, about nope, nope. groceries and gas in their car. Yeah. 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 So the first step in addressing any fear is to make sure we understand exactly what it is we're afraid of, right? And then reality test that fear to see if it's rooted in fact or rooted in feelings, right? <laughs> feelings. I love those feelings. For fears around level one money matters, we can start with your client's cash flow needs, right? We often refer to this as the budget. But if that makes them too nervous, you can call it a spending analysis or spending plan or what the hell did you buy? The point is, they need to know how much money they will require each month to pay for those basic living expenses. All right. So let's let's talk about the budget, right? What what do we what are what do our clients need to do? Right. So the first step is to start by gathering about six to 12 months of checking, savings, and credit card statements and break the spending down into the following basic categories. 
right? They can also check to see if their bank or credit card company provides reporting that will categorize those charges for them, right? Amex does that sometimes on year-end statement, you can see those things, okay? Some expenses may require a little research. For instance, if they will be finding their own funding and finding their own new health insurance or renting a new apartment, they need to get a little idea of what that cost is gonna be. So there's gonna be a little research needed in that regard. Okay, so let's talk about those categories, okay? Housing, right? What is their mortgage, rent, property taxes, HOA dues, insurance, right? All of those basic housing-related expenses. Now, what's important I want to talk about in terms of the budget, and we talk about a lot of this, and we're going to talk about it also, it may not be what it is right now, right? So if you're housing, you're paying a mortgage, and you may be renting in this divorce process, getting, again, a little better idea of what's that looking like, okay? Right, post-divorce. We're looking post-divorce. at- Post-divorce. What are my post-divorce needs going to be? Yeah, yeah. Which is important to take into consideration what your current needs are. But also, if you're knowing that you're not going to be staying in that house, your rent may actually be more than your mortgage, mm-hmm. okay? Utilities. Right, these gas, electric, propane, phone, TV, internet, food. Can't even talk about how much we need to really look at food expenses, groceries, food delivery, dining out. Okay. Auto, your car payments. Are you leasing? Right? Is there is there a loan on the car? Is it paid out right? Gas, repairs. Oil changes, tires, mufflers, brakes, right? Okay. Yes. Again, medical, right? This is your health insurance, those out-of-pocket doctor, dentist visits, prescriptions, eye care, physical therapy. Contact lenses, eyeglasses. Oh, contact lenses are so expensive. I just can't even get me started on contact lenses. Okay. Yeah. Entertainment, subscriptions, travel, concerts, shows, sports. That's all those Netflix, Amazon, Prime, Hulu, Hulu, right? (laughs) All All of that in entertainment. It's not just going to the movies. It's what are you doing for entertainment? Clothing, right? Your personal purchases, personal clothing, dry cleaning, uniforms, if you wear them to work, personal care, hair, nails, gym, yoga, okay? Miscellaneous, right? Those are your gifts, pets, pets donations, right? And then gifts, children. Gifts yeah. are something that are significantly underestimated. Absolutely. And often very much disregarded, right? They don't even think right. about it. You don't yeah. think about how much you spend on wedding gifts, shower gifts, your kids' friends' birthday gifts, graduation gifts, right? Your kid has 10 friends. You give them each 20 or $50 for graduation. Whew, those add yeah. up. Yeah. And then children-related expenses, right? That's their education, extracurricular activities, school lunches, aftercare, childcare, okay? All, all of that child stuff. And now that they may start having an idea of what it will cost them to live each month, it's time to do some reality testing and address some of those other big questions, right? Does their current or projected income cover those expenses. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
Do they need to do some research or consult with an attorney to learn more about potential spousal support or child support awards? Will they need to earn additional income? Where is there room to lower some expenses? Right? And if they want to keep the marital home, will they qualify for financing? We always talk about that the most expensive thing in divorce is fear. And the antidote to fear is knowledge, information. Your client may not like the numbers they see after this budget exercise, but living in truth and light will bring freedom. Okay. It's, It's hard, right? It is hard. It is really, really challenging to look at. And it's scary, right? And that's why your support is very much needed in this process. The freedom to make the right decisions for themselves is that light and truth. Now that they have a framework, they can evaluate settlement offers, job offers, housing choices, and more with the knowledge of how it will impact their financial life, right? They can also make informed spending decisions. Maybe they're not willing to give up their visit to the salon for highlights. I know I am not but they can choose to stretch out those visits or give up a few lattes up for the funds, right? We forget, we underestimate what our Starbucks bill is on a weekly basis. Or maybe they'll decide to work 30 hours a week instead of 15 to support the lifestyle they want. There is a whole bunch of psychology and deep-rooted conditioning when it comes to money, But there's a quote by Joe Biden that really sums up our approach to budgeting and divorce. Don't tell me what you value. Show me your budget and I'll tell you what you value. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The goal is, is that your client will be making informed choices that are aligned with their values and their priorities. Yeah. Budgets. Budgets. Yeah. That's a six letter word, but for a lot of people, it feels like a four letter word, right? It's scary. That's well, because we I think most people don't run budgets. Well, they we, don't, we just don't, we don't think about it. And um, I know we want to get on to the next part of this, but I will say gifts are something that are underestimated. Pets are underestimated and food. It's so common. People come in and say, oh yeah, we probably spend $400 a month on groceries. Tracy and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago <laughs> and we say, humor me go back and look a few months and they're like, oh, I spent $1,100 a month on groceries and eating out. Yeah, you did. It's not 400. It's not 400. Unless you're one of the coupon clipper, bulk cooker people, you're not spending $400 a month on groceries. So, okay. So working with them on their budget. The next step then is leading into proposal development. So Now that they know their monthly cash flow needs, your client has this solid filter to use for making and responding to proposals. And one of the greatest advantages of using mediation to negotiate a marital settlement agreement is that it offers couples a chance to color outside the lines, Mm -hmm. right? They aren't limited to the law or just taking a big old hacksaw and cutting everything in half. They have the ability to craft an agreement that's customized for their unique circumstances. Yep. Dividing marital property is like building a Lego tower. 
I don't know anybody who hasn't played with Legos at some point in their life. So we all understand this concept that there is an infinite number of ways to construct the same size Lego tower using different combinations of shapes and sizes and colors of Lego bricks. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. I can swap out this one for two of these, but it takes up the same amount of space, but the tower looks different. It's the same size. Yep. So a super simple way to get started on this idea is to list all the marital assets and debts and figure out the worth or the balance in that account, either the what the asset's worth or what the balance in that account is or the balance on that loan. And this list might include a home, cars, checking and savings accounts, retirement accounts, stocks and investments, and then maybe a mortgage, car loans, credit card loans, things like that. So we're going to add up all the assets and subtract all the debts, and that's going to give you the net worth of the marital estate. That really is the number that's on the table to be divided. Now, you and your client can play around with this list, okay? And move assets and debts from their side to their spouse's side until they have a relatively equal, equitable distribution. So let's say the total marital net worth is a million dollars, right? Then we know in an equitable situation, they should each end up with about $500,000, okay? Mm -hmm. What this exercise allows them to do is see the impact of different proposals, of different settlement scenarios. For example, if they want to keep the marital home and they put that on their side of the balance sheet, how much of the retirement or investment accounts would they need to give up to offset that? right? It's in black and white. It's clear, right? We're looking at information. Or if they want to consider a lump sum buyout of spousal support, where would those funds come from? Is there enough money in the marital estate to make that a reality? So certainly this is a really high level overview, but it's really indicative of the kind of financial work you can do with clients to start addressing those money fears. Now, what if they don't know some of these numbers? That yeah. happens. I don't, have, I don't know what our mortgage is. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's in the 401k. I've never seen it. I have no idea. And I'm really scared about that. My spouse has always hidden that from me. Great. This is an opportunity to describe the financial disclosure and discovery process And give your client that reassurance that they're not going to be expected to make these big decisions in a vacuum without the necessary information. So remember, fears are just questions waiting to be answered. And you can support your client with that education or a plan to get the information they need. Yeah. And I know this is going to sound absolutely crazy. But one of the first things that we support clients in doing is taking the least restrictive, most least expensive way of trying to get information. Mm -hmm. Do you know what that is? Uh, Can I guess? Yeah. Ask their spouse. (laughs) Ask their spouse. Start by asking. I know it's scary. You don't start with subpoenas? No, no, no. We don't start with subpoenas. We actually just start with asking. And then if there's resistance, there's a whole continuum we can go up. 
Okay. Right. Really important. So when we help clients focus on what they need and what's most important to them, instead of what's fair or what they're legally entitled to, it opens the door to problem solving. And it is a much more effective route to resolution. The key to minimizing money fears is really a combination of understanding the divorce process, financial literacy. Okay, I'm not speaking a foreign language, but some some financial literacy there, understanding, and a values-based decision-making process. When clients are prepared to negotiate from an interest-based perspective, they improve the chances that they'll get a satisfying outcome. Mm. I know. So big, this was kind of a, a, a broad overview, but watch for our upcoming four-part class, Financial Foundations from a CDFA, Ms. Deborah Doak. If you're working with clients on financial planning and it feels uncomfortable for you, Deborah will walk you through all these steps and more, plus give you the worksheets she uses. She actually uses in her practice as a divorce coach with clients to help them ditch their money fears, right? So if this is something you're thinking, okay, I really want to expand my own knowledge and application of these practices with my clients, you're going to want to check this out. Deborah makes it really, really, really simple. I try. She does. And she's successful for that. It'll be probably the end of March. Yeah. 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 All right, everyone. We want to thank you again for tuning in and uh, sharing your time with us as we talk all things related to the practice of uh, divorce coaching. Until then, we look forward to seeing you again. Thanks for joining us for the Divorce Coaches Academy podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. It helps other divorce professionals find us and add to the conversation. And don't forget to follow us on social media to be the first to know when we add new classes and events. We'll be back next week with another topic to help you maximize client impact, create a thriving business, and promote the value of professional divorce coaching.